Welcome to the Congregation of Yahweh. We're passionate about declaring the truths that the Bible contains. It's for everyone. We'll hope you'll enjoy and be enriched by this message. Hallelujah. I am tasked today with the introductory sermon to what promises to be a very interesting theme, the rise of apostolic communities. And I have been asked to take another look at the early history of the congregation of Yahweh. Now, I've been doing this quite a lot over the last 18 months. So some of this, some of you will have heard before. I'm asking you to forgive me if you have, and we do remember that there are maybe probably quite a lot of people here who haven't heard it. And so we're talking a little bit today about our early beginnings. We're talking about being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. I would like, I would like to make absolutely clear from the very start of this sermon, that there has always been an apostolic community in the earth since the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at that first Shavuot after Yeshua rose from the dead. Yeshua said, I will build my church. And I believe he has been building it since its inauguration up at that Shavuot meeting in the upper room. And this community has always been in existence in some form right down through the centuries. The body of Yeshua has been alive and well because Yeshua said the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And we believe that this congregation, the Congregation of Yahweh UK, is intimately connected with the congregation of the first century. I believe that we are part of that building. We are built on the same foundation that the Apostle Paul and Peter and John and all the others that they built on. I want to make this very, very clear to you today. My father is not the founder of this church. He is not. He never wanted to be recognized by that title. He tried to tell people, no, no, no. I want to tell you today, once and for all, my father is not the founder. Let me tell you what he was. He was used by Yahweh to find, to find that same foundation. And when he understood it, Having found it in the scriptures, he built on that foundation with passion and integrity and brought to birth what we see here today. Everything that we see here today grounded upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets of whom... Yeshua himself is chief. Let's have a look at the scripture that Anna read to us. Right. I've switched it on. I'm pressing the... Next, next slide, please. Right. You... Now, this is the Apostle Paul 
was speaking to the church in Ephesus. But I am totally convinced today, and I am going to spend the rest of this afternoon convincing you that you, brothers and sisters, are no longer fellow foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with Yahweh's people and members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Yeshua, the Messiah himself, as the chief cornerstone. Why, I want to, today's message is about why I believe we fit into this picture. I want us to grasp how the Congregation of Yahweh UK is part of the first century church. The birth of this apostolic community, that is, who we are, and I'm talking about this century. There are some other people like me have been around for since the last century. How about that? But you know, everybody in here today, you're part of this. And the birth of this apostolic community was an intricate weaving together of people choices, and timing, breathtaking timing. And I would like to unfold today a picture of Yahweh's divine purpose moving in our generation, my generation, your generation, the next generation, the previous generation, moving and creating who we are today. And we're going to do that by looking at the, an apostolic calling, a scriptural foundation, and a many-membered body. Let me see if it'll work now, Devante. Yes, it's working. Right. Do you recognise those people? And just in case you don't, that's my father, my mother, and me. I haven't changed that much, have I? It is actually difficult to understand the power that was working in my very young parents immediately after World War II. There was an irresistible force that was driving my dad, and he was dr dragging mum along with him. Today, you know, brothers and sisters, we would identify this as the call of Yahweh. And for all of us, the call comes first. And after the call is the gifting. As the person called yields to the power behind the call, so the gifting of the head of this church, who is also somehow part of the foundation, that gifting becomes clear. My parents were married. Oh, I'm going the wrong way. Right, I'll do better. I'm not going the wrong way. Devonte, help me. I am pressing the forward button, honestly. Right, my parents met and married during World War II. And in this picture, she is 19 years old. And she came from Wales. And he is 21. And he came from Yorkshire. And I've been racking my brains to remember what my mum told me. And I can't remember the exact number, but I know that on the day when she met him at the altar in this church, she had actually been in his company less than 10 times. I think it was nine. It's the ninth time they'd been writing. 
but they hadn't met. They got to know each other because my father was in the RAF and my mum had a brother who was just a little bit older than her, my uncle Trevor, and my dad and my uncle Trevor were buddies in the RAF. And my dad didn't believe Uncle Trevor had got a younger sister, and so Uncle Trevor said to him, I'll write to her. Go on, see if she really exists. So he did. What kind of timing was that? That my father and my uncle should get together and a lass from Wales and a guy from Yorkshire should get married. Is that not breathtaking? Is that not divine? See, the problem was, though, when they got together, my dad was an atheist and my mum was a disillusioned Methodist. She'd had enough of church and she never wanted to go to church again and she said the only two people, she wouldn't marry a policeman and she wouldn't marry a preacher. <laughs> but then, you know, my dad came to visit one weekend. Now, we're talking about the war. It had been going on for a couple of years and he brought her a box of black magic. Now, you couldn't get chocolate in the war for love or money, but I think you could get it, you know, called the black market, yes. And she said to me one day, he was an atheist, good, but any guy that can, can dig out a box of black magic in wartime deserves a second look. <laughs> She was thrilled to bits with him. She thought he was amazing. Now, her mother, this is my maternal grandmother, she was saved in the Welsh revival. It was an absolutely fantastic revival that hit Wales at the beginning of the 20th century, 1904, 1905. And grandma was saved in the Welsh revival, and she became an active Methodist. And every Sunday, my mum was dragged along to church. And every Sunday, they treated it like a kind of a Sabbath. So my mum wasn't allowed to do anything. She wasn't allowed to play. She wasn't allowed to go outside. She wasn't allowed to do talk in church. She said, as soon as I get old enough not to go, I'm never going again. Now, this is my father's father. So this is my paternal grandfather. My paternal grandfather was a backslider. <coughs> so he didn't want anything at all to do with religion. So, I mean, it, when my father was growing up, it was the 20s. Um, and so a lot, most kids went to Sunday school, not my dad. Oh, he didn't, my grand grandfather said, let the boy make his own mind up. Still wants to go to church when he's older, he can go, but he's not going now. And so this is how they got together. What an unlikely pair. A, an atheist and a disillusioned Methodist. And they married in June 1942. And I was born two and a bit years later. In 1944. <clears throat> and then, when I was three months old, he was posted to Israel as part of his war service. And I was one and a half before I saw him again. The story of my father's absolute amazing conversion the miracles that Yahweh did in his life and what happened to him while he was in Israel. That's a, not a story for today, but it's worth having sometime. He was filled with the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem in the home of a Danish missionary called Lydia Christensen. And Lydia Christensen was a powerful spiritual woman and she used to open her home to all the young servicemen and she would pray with them and counsel them. And eventually, Lydia Christensen married Derek Prince, which, who is someone you probably heard of. 
So my dad was going to go back to Israel after the war to work with Lydia and Derek. But of course, Israel closed its doors to everyone from England because of the way we treated them in the war. So they never went. Anyway, let's keep going. This is how I was when, I, when he got back. Sorry, I should have put that one on. I was, I was just one and a half. My dad, he was completely unchurched. He didn't know anything about anything. And after he died, I found this hidden away in one of the, his boxes. And when I opened it, to my surprise, it was a little diary. And it was 1945, when he had just gone to Israel. He was unsaved, but there are hints all the way through about how Yahweh was drawing him. Not that he knew that was what was happening, but there, were th there are things in the Bible I, I, I found like this, in, in the, sorry, in this. On February 17th, it said, I think I was given to the Lord this night. In other words, he was saved. But before that, no, sorry, on the 24th, on February the 24th, it said, now this is because he went to church, this is the man that many of you know as an absolutely amazing preacher. He wrote in his diary, I read a scripture and prayed a prayer. That's the first record of him doing anything in church. But this is the one that really spoke to me. Inside the diary, I found some pages that were torn out of his 1946 diary. It was just one year after he wrote, I think I was given to the Lord this night. Tonight I finished reading the Bible through for the first time. So I am saying to you, this atheist who became an agnostic, who became a believer, read the Bible from cover to cover in the first year of his salvation. The picture shows him reading a small New Testament on the balcony. It was either in Jerusalem or Alexandra, but he was on weekend leave. Can I ask? No, I don't want you to show your hands, but is there anybody here who's never read the Bible through? And if you haven't read it through yet, how long have you been saved? Just a thought. He was so hungry, he read it through um, in that time. So let's tell you what happened next. You know, when the war ended, the RAF wanted him to stay on in service because he had been, um, he'd been a, a, an engineer working on the aeroplanes and they had valued him. But because of his salvation, they said, well, we can send you to theological college and you can train to be as a chaplain. So he thought, yes, this is what I need, because my dad belonged to that group of children who all left school when they were just 14. It was very young, wasn't it? He had no education to speak of, and so he was really excited. But Yahweh wouldn't let him go. So he thought, well, right, I'll go to the Bible shop and I'll buy lots of books to study with. And Yahweh said, no. The only thing he allowed him to buy was a Thompson chain reference Bible. You know, I believe my dad had to be untouched by any kind of religious preconceptions. My earliest memories of him are him on his knees with this Bible open on the chair in front of him. And I would creep 
across to kiss him goodnight on my way to bed. Yahweh kept him focused on the word because he wanted him to just understand what the word said. If you look at this Bible, you can see, can't you? Can you see? Those pages that look as though they're falling to pieces, they go from John to the book of Hebrews. And then, as we, those of us that were around in Hunger Hill Road, we know when he started to say that Genesis was the seedbed. Do you remember that? That's also falling out. This is the Bible that he used to preach from. He used to thump it. He used to put it on the platform and stand on it and say, I'm standing on the word. What it says in here is, is good enough for me. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I believe Yahweh wanted purity of understanding. He chose a man who knew nothing about the scriptures. My dad had no religious background, but he was practical and he liked to find out how things worked. And I believe Yahweh wanted him to look in the scriptures and find out from the Bible how things were supposed to work keep going a bit. We, we lived in the tiny country cottage in a hamlet which had just got about seven homes and a farm. We were about four miles from Loughborough on the road to Nottingham. My father had a lifelong passion for souls and he began with my mum and me. And actually, I, I, I wasn't going to say this, I'll put it in today. I, the, the lady that read the scriptures, Anna, my mum was his, the first convert he got when he came back to England. And Sister Anna, who read the scriptures today, she was the last before he died. Says Anna came to my home, our home, to help me with the things I had to do for my parents when they were sick. And she, when she came, she was a backslider. And to my entire embarrassment, he was asked, used to ask her questions. You know, well, why? Well, what happened? Well, what have you done about it? Well, are you praying? Well, and every week, all right, Anna, he was needling at Anna. And see, I, I, I began to understand eventually that she was the last soul that Yahweh put on his heart. What a privilege. <laughs> Not a privilege, Anna. I, I, I was privileged when I remembered that. But anyway, this first one was my mum. And in this diary, on these loose pages, in March, Tuesday, March the 26th, at 8.30 this evening, Joyce gave herself to the Lord and was saved. Well, now, many years later, Joyce said to me, I just did what he wanted me to do to shut him up because I was <laughs> so fed up with him. She was going on and on and on about it, so I did it. And then, you know, after that, she was really struggling to meet up to his expectations because, you know, he thought she'd give up smoking like he had and he would, she would do this. But she didn't have what it took because she didn't know what was happening to her. And you know what she said to me one day? She said, you know, Valerie, she said, I'm quite ashamed when I think about this, but one day she, when she was in church, there was a call, does anybody need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And my mum said to me, I thought in my heart, Val, perhaps being filled with the Holy Spirit will make these dreadful meetings a bit more bearable. <laughs> So she went out, isn't Yahweh gracious? But this is the call of Yahweh, this is timing. And she just got filled with the Holy Spirit. And when she got filled with the Holy Spirit, she started to shake and her legs were shaking. And she said, Val, she said, when I was walking down the aisle in that church to meet your father, my legs were shaking so badly 
I didn't know what had happened because I didn't feel nervous. But she said, I thought, this must be why brides wear long dresses, to cover the shaking legs. But she said, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, it was exactly the same. So she knew from that point onwards that their marriage had been ordained of Yahweh. Yahweh is so kind, isn't he? Anyway, so we travelled most weekends at that time to a little um, town of Colville, which was two bus rides away and took a long time to get there, but it was the only place where my dad felt the power and freedom of the Holy Spirit that he'd experienced in Israel. And, you know, he used to say, I was born in the fire, I can't live in the smoke. And he used to go there every week and he kept studying the word. And it wasn't long before his mother got saved and then his father got restored. So then he started a Bible study and prayer group in his parents' home. Because he had a passion for souls. He'd love what's happening here on Wednesday, John. His passion for souls never left him. That's why Anna, one of the reasons why Anna is here today, because he had a passion for souls. And we used to have this motorbike it was a long time ago. No crash helmets. He was sitting there with his arms on the thing. I was sitting on the tank and mum sat on the back. And every time we went out, which was quite often, it was most, you know, quite often over the weekends and or in the evening in the summer, when he would go to the neighbouring villages and he would preach, he would give out tracts. And my mum said to me, he spent all our money on tracts. So she said, I was... Right, I will tell you this. I didn't know if I would. I was ashamed to hang my underwear on the line when I did the washing because it was so ragged because there was never any money left because he was too busy using it all to preach the gospel. I think they were a good match, weren't they? <sighs> right, motorbike evangelism. <clears throat> I don't quite know. Um, I, you have to remember, you look at that little girl, she's not very old, is she? But I, I, did, I, I did listen a lot, apparently. And I began to hear a name mentioned in our country cottage. And it was... Tom Barnes, and I knew that Tom Barnes lived, and I think it was in Newark, but I, I couldn't be totally sure about that. It was either in Newark or around that area. And my dad used to travel from the cottage in the country through Nottingham, no motorways, and up there to see Tom Barnes. And I, don't, I just know that he was a really important person in their life at that time. And I, I have in my, my very early memories the thought that it was when they started going to see Tom, they began to talk about the body of Yeshua, the fivefold ministry, and things of that nature. And I do remember that when my dad started to realise that Yahweh was still giving gifts, he started hammering on the door and asking Yahweh, what have you given me? What am I called to be? What do you want me to be? Tell me what you want me to be. And so one weekend we were at Colville and there was a, 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 a minister came through with his wife and they were very, they were prophetic people and anointed. And at the end of his word, he threw out, uh, they threw out an invitation like we do here. And my mum and dad, who were both in their 20s, come on, they were young people, weren't they? They went out for prayer. My mum got prayed for first. Apparently, when this man, he was a prophet, when he laid hands on my mum, he got so anointed and he started to prophesy and prophesy and prophesy over and say what Yahweh had called her to do a great work and she was called to be a prophet. And, and my dad was getting really excited. Oh, this is it, this is it, this is it. But, you know, when they prayed for my dad, he didn't say anything. <laughs> So he was, oh, he was cheesed off. He was a bit fed up. 
But, you know, I think, as far as I know, they did, that man planted a seed in my dad. And when that seed came to fullness, he, my dad, understood that he was called to the apostleship. Right. Now, at some point, we stopped going to Colville, and I remember there was lots of talk about moving out in faith, I got a clue what that meant, and starting a work in the town of Loughborough. So, this is Churchgate, and Libby and I have been talking about this. This is Churchgate today. This is the corner where we were, and this was the room where the, where the, the what you know today as the Congregation of Yahweh, that's where we started. And we think that that was about there. This is a, um, a copyright photograph of Churchgate, 1950. But when, when we took that over, what a surprise, surprise, those of you that have been around a while. It was very dirty, and it needed decorating. And when you looked through a hole in this, oh, no, I wrong the presser, I wanted to. Sorry. Put it back to, to um, Loughborough for me, please. There we are. When you looked through a hole in the wall here, you could see all the way down to the marketplace. It was so big. <laughs> so they said, well, you know, Mr. Warsop, if you want to, to worship there, you'll have to do it up. We said, that we will do it up. That's half a moon. It started all those years ago. But, you know, a nucleus of people gathered, began to gather in that little upper room and to worship Yahweh, to learn. And Yahweh began to open his word and show us things. And this little meeting room became affectionately known as the upper room in Churchgate. But the apostolic gift of in my father, the prophetic gift in my mother, were nurtured in that space and began to grow. <clears throat> I think, as far as I can remember, we were there for about 10 years. And during that time, the Holy Spirit was working with us all the time, bringing them together with people who were like-minded, setting them apart from other Pentecostal and religious denominations because of the revelation and understanding that Yahweh was giving to this man, this ex-RAF engineer who had never had any formal teaching. But the Holy Spirit was laying a scriptural foundation in their lives. And I want to say this, as his daughter... And having worked with him and been with him my whole life, his entire focus was always on Yeshua. You know, when I listened to the introduction to the feast today, I had to smile because I was going to say to you people, any time the focus of this congregation moves away from Yeshua, that's the time to wonder what's happening. But, you know, we are Yeshua in the, the centre of us all. And Yeshua was my father's focus. As he was... Let me just see. I just think I... Yeah. While he was studying diligently and trying to learn from this part, remember, axes falling out, believe me, it's stuck together with sellotape. He was trying to learn about the early church. Um, and the more he learned about it, the more firmly he believed that the church of the 20th century must be built on the same foundation. Uh. It's going back. Oh, I've got it upside down. That's why it's going backwards. <laughs> right. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. 
According to the grace of Yahweh, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Messiah Yeshua. And there you have it. That was his driving force. That scripture held his heart. This is the fact we have no mandate to build on any other foundation than the foundation which is laid, and that is Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah of Israel. He is the foundation as well as being the head. He is the Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is all. My, my dad was absolutely clued in, keyed into this scripture, motivated by a vision and a hunger for truth. And interestingly, when I was browsing through this Bible, you know how people underline things, don't you? I found something that was underlined in the book of Timothy. It's 1 Timothy, chapter 1, and verse 6. Charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Charge some that they teach no other doctrine. As far as my dad was concerned, this was the mandate. It was like having whatever it was he had to put the engines in the, um, the planes of the RAF. He had a, a mandate to sort them out when they went wrong. And if he followed the mandate, they worked. And apparently he was so good at it, they wouldn't move him. They wouldn't let him move to anything else, even though he asked. When he came to this, he wanted to know what the mandate was for the church or the apostolic community. And he found it in here. And he said, charge some that they teach no other doctrine. What is in here is what is truth. But also, everything that we believe must, it must match. You know, you can't take a scripture here and say, well, I can't believe that scripture because I don't believe that. Or I do believe that, but I don't believe that which says something similar. You know, you've got to, re you've got to take it all or none. My mum and dad became a powerful apostolic prophetic unit as they grew in faith and understanding. And Yahweh saw fit in Loughborough to begin to build through them on this foundation which had been laid. A spirit of wisdom and revelation was working with dad and the church in Loughborough began to be known People heard about us, people visited us, people asked him to go and speak. And every time my parents spoke of what they knew, and they only knew what they knew, what they read in the scriptures, they spoke about the body of Yeshua, they spoke about the fivefold ministries, they spoke about apostolic order. And in the 50s, and these are things that we're very familiar with, really across the Christian world today. But in the 50s, it was like foreign language. And some people were enthusiastic, said, oh, isn't this wonderful? And other people said, what? No, you're, you're, you're 10 years in front of God, Peter. No, Peter, you, you know you haven't got that right. So he had that to deal with as well. And he was just a young man. People were added to the church. And the call of Yahweh was on other lives. And several young prophets began to emerge. I recognize those two. Do you recognize them? We began to emerge on the foundation that was built in Loughborough. We have had many, many years blessing from Brother Daniel, haven't we? 
And <clears throat> this young lass here, when I was 10 years old, I, I received a call from Yahweh to set the people singing. And so I couldn't play any musical instrument, but my dad went out and bought me an accordion. And because I couldn't play hymns on that inside six months, he bought a piano. And then he went out and he found a piano teacher and he said, can you teach my daughter to play the piano and will you only use hymns? She said, yes, Mr. Warsaw. So 50, about 15 months after I received the call to set the people singing, when I was probably about 11 and a half, I began to play for the meetings. <clears throat> it was the start, Samuel, Elliot, where are you? It was the start of the musical ministry, way back there in Loughborough. Now, this picture is taken in our back garden in Loughborough, and it's, it was after church fellowship, and this is some of the people. And at this time, a very special family was added to the church. Brother Tommy Murray and his wife, Vera Murray. And you can't, behind Vera's head, you can't see the little baby that I'm holding, but she's down here, so you recognize her. That's Libby. And Libby is just there. Can you just wave to us, Libby? Libby is still here. <clears throat> there was also a young lady who used to turn up on our, at, on our doorstep nearly every weekend to have fellowship. Does anybody recognize her? Miss Moya. Miss Moya. There she is over there. Can you wave Moya, please? There she is. <coughs> There's a few of us left from Loughborough. You know, Brother Tommy, he was an elder in the church, and I believe he was also... Um, what moved in a prophetical office. But there was one thing for sure, he had an exceptional gift of knowledge. Now, Libby told me some time ago that she and her parents were in the car, they were parked in their car at Loughborough bus station. And whilst they were parked there, a load of girl walked past. She was wearing a green duffel coat. That's how profoundly remembered she is. And Brother Tommy said, I really feel for that little girl. I don't know who she is. I've got to pray for her. So Brother Tommy, there and then, prayed for the little girl. And during the next couple of weeks, Brother Tommy kept on praying for that little girl. And two weeks after that first sighting, Elizabeth, Libby over there, she was at the youth meeting. We called it YPM in those days, Young People's Meeting. She was at the Thursday night Loughborough Youth Meeting. And to her amazement, this little girl in the green duffel coat walked in. And she got saved. And she got filled with the Holy Spirit. And she got called to the ministry. And she's over there. Wave to us, Tickford. Passion for souls, Tommy had it as well. And you know, from the church in Loughborough, there are still people around from the church in Loughborough. Here's somebody else. Brother Tommy had a very powerful musical ministry. And when he sang, it was, it was amazing. I was a new pianist. And, and, and so I, when I used to play for him, I used to try and he used to pour out this amazing gift. And I used to try and get in underneath that spirit and, and move the music along 
to work with him, to, to bless the people, to, to be part of that anointing that Yahweh was giving him. And I believe that the Holy Spirit started my training for the musical ministry right there with Brother Tommy in Loughborough. It, this is where the musical and prophetical ministries began to blossom. It was a vibrant community, brothers and sisters, which began to emerge. The Holy Spirit was real and precious. We used to feel the anointing. One day, I always said this. There was a word of prophecy, and it came through my mum. And part of the prophecy, the only bit I can remember is that Yahweh said, this day I have lighted a candlestick for you. Well, I didn't know what that meant, but then neither did anybody else. And after the meeting, I remember all the adults standing around talking, saying, well, what does it mean? What does it mean? And then somebody said, well, is it to do with the picture in Revelation? <clears throat> the book of Revelation at the beginning is written to seven churches, seven churches that were established at that time. And for each of those churches, there was a candlestick. And Yeshua was in the midst of the candlesticks. Remember, he said, I will build my church. And he had seven stars in his right hand. And he told John that those were the angels of the churches. What he meant by that was, he was in the midst of the churches, the candlesticks. And the angels who are the ministers were in his hand. So if you want to know who the angel of Nottingham Church is, Brother John. And if you want to know who the angel of the Blythe Church is, it's Brother Isaac. And the, I, don't, I don't quite know whether it's a Bedford church or a Hitchin church, the church down where Edwin and Penina are. Edwin is the angel of that church. And if you want to know who the angel is of the congregation of Yahweh UK, that's Brother Upcop. Angels of the church. We understood that. Wasn't it? Yeah, Anna rang, read it beautifully, didn't she? But I have to read it again. No, I don't. No, I don't. She read it beautifully. His face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And he said, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. And we came to understand that day that Yahweh was actually acknowledging the work that was going on in Loughborough as having been built on the right foundation, in the right way, in apostolic order, and he recognised it as a church by lighting that candlestick. What an amazing privilege. The groundwork for all that we are today here in Nottingham and throughout this country was laid very carefully in Loughborough on the foundation that was, let's say his name loud and clear, Yeshua, was Yeshua. Come on, the foundation that was? Yeshua. Can you do it again? The foundation that was? Yeshua. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No other one, no other foundation will do. Loughborough, we had outreach work, we had Bible school, we had apostolic order in the meetings. We had the beginnings of the musical and worship ministry. And I even printed the first handouts on the dining room table in a small terraced house in Loughborough. It was all there. <clears throat> now, the move to Nottingham. That came after about 10 years in Loughborough. We were completely settled and happy. We didn't want this church. 
We didn't want to move. We didn't know anything about the Caribbean people that were supposed to make most of it up. But Yahweh told us, go and check it out. So we checked it out. They're a nice big group, isn't it? And weren't they all visitors came along to see who this man was, this Englishman? But you know, there was something in the spirit in that first meeting. And the people wanted him, wanted my dad, take care of them. But when we finally got together, there wasn't a big crowd of people like you see in that picture. There was 19 of us, and five of those were from Loughborough. So there were 14 in the Caribbean congregation when we came to Nottingham. And after a little bit of uh, digging, we found that there were 14 different religious organizations represented. Every single one of them went to a different church. All the English people went to a different church, all the Caribbean people went to a different church. 14 churches and us. But you know, what there really was, there might not have been a lot of us, but oh my goodness, there was a connection. You know, not all the congregation was from Caribbean, but there was a big percentage, probably 75% of that little congregation was Caribbean. And my goodness, did they have something, something that got hold of us, something that, you know, we felt the spirit, we got together and we understood each other. And I was listening to the singing today and I was thinking how when we first came to Nottingham, I learned to play this song, I saw the lighthouse, amen. And we sang that for about half an hour, and it was, <laughs> I saw the lighthouse, amen. <laughs> Me saw the lighthouse, amen. <laughs> Me saw the lighthouse, amen. Must be Jesus, amen. <laughs> yes. But, you know, we loved it, and we loved them. I'd never heard singing like it before in my life. I came from, you know, the hymn book. They had, we had a, I think we had an effect on each other. But, oh, did we love them. And, they, and I think that the, the congregation loved us. We... <sighs> Let me tell you something else. <clears throat> As we began to grow together here in Nottingham, Dad was driving... Um, this is uh, Gregory Boulevard. This is the island, that's the Baptist church, this is the forest. It's in the 60s. And when Dad was driving up this road, one day, he had a sudden flashback memory. He had been coming home to Loughborough from visiting Mr. Barnes. He was travelling through Nottingham, didn't know anything about Nottingham. And he, he pulled up at the roundabout and Yahweh said to him, wrong number, I will build my church in this place. Actually, Shua said it to him, sorry. Shua said to him, I will build my church in this place. And he just said, oh, hallelujah, now that's brilliant, and went on his way and forgot all about it until one day it came back. When I think we were struggling here, struggling to get established, struggling to find somewhere to worship, came back to him. Yahweh had plans. You know Yahweh has plans, don't you? He had plans. Yes. And so the story of how we came to the mission hall um, at Hunger Hill Road, I told you at Tabernacle, so I'm not going to go there. And the congregation there was a huge mix of people, and the job 
of the apostle and the prophet, my mother prophetess and the young prophets, was to secure the foundation. So dad then began to speak about the very foundations, you know, order in the meetings from 1 Corinthians 14. Emphasize the need for the infilling of the Holy Spirit and for being led by that Spirit. And if somebody spoke in tongues, not for everybody else to get so excited, they all spoke in tongues, but to do what we did today, wait for the interpretation. Things which brought us together, things which brought divine order on board at Hunger Hill Road, waiting on Yahweh before we came to the meeting, putting Yeshua in the center. We learned to work together. We learned to love each other. We learned to hug each other. We learned to respect each other. The Caribbean church was vibrant and free. I saw the lighthouse men free in the Holy Spirit. They were wonderful and the people were different. And yet they were the same. We had this witness of the Spirit and it bound <coughs> us together. It was a thrilling, exciting time. You know, and as we came together, melded together, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, a great fire was lighted. Revival happened in that tin hut. We had more revelation from, from Loughborough. We had change, and oh my goodness, we worked hard. On Sundays in the little tin chapel, we had breaking bread at 10.30, which lasted till one o'clock, sometimes later. We had Bible school at 3 p.m., which was at Hunger Hill Road, and it was also at the Meadows. I'll tell you about that in a minute. We had an open air at 5.30, and then the evening meeting was at 6.30. That was Sunday. I was about 17 years old, when I took over the leadership of the Bible School of the Meadows. Sorry. This Bible School had grown because whilst we were, had no settled home, the, the, the spirit in my dad that was always wanted to reach out for souls went down the meadows and, and the Bible School was created. So he sent me, here I am, about 17, so he sent me down there with my trusty helpers, Auntie Princess and Auntie Beryl. They, we three did that work every week. Three o'clock, we had to take two buses to get down there. We finished at four. I went home if we had time. I was leading the open air at 5.30. We used to go down to the church. I'd take up my piano accordion I'd go around the streets, out there around the church, and we'd have an open air. And then, whatever song we were playing at the end in the open air meeting, and we would play that all the way back down the road, and we would sing it all the way back down the road, and we would go into Hunger Hill Road, and I would play it all the way down the aisle, and then I would slip into the organ seats, throw off the accordion, and continue playing the same song. <laughs> and that was how church started on a Saturday, a Sunday. Yes, so yeah, it was hard. It was regularly, Sundays were a non-stop 12-hour day. But, oh, we had revelation. We had anointing. We had revival. Because it was an apostolic community and it was built on the foundation that had been laid. After 10 years, Hunger Hill Road had to be demolished. And because we were trying to build another house, another church, this building was the last one standing in the whole of St Anne's area around Hunger Hill Road. And eventually, it was beginning to be pulled down. And in the meantime, we were building at Newstead Grove. And when the walls began to grow up, go up and the roof began to go on, Dad began to say, when we get to Newstead Grove, there's going to be some changes. 
bit reminded me a bit when remember when Alcott stood up and said there's going to be a new vineyard and we all said what does that mean? And he said I don't know, you've got to wait and see. And Dad said, well, we said, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? She said, you've got to wait and see that there's going to be some changes, not my word. Change is hard, isn't it? But the outcome, when it's Yahweh's plan, is often breathtaking. And it's always glorious. But that, is another story for another time. Yahweh bless you. Thank you for spending some time with us. We hope that you've been encouraged and inspired. We pray that what you've heard will transform your life.